Okay. I think this is a really good episode. So Kim Tronic is a lovely human being who I met today. Uh, and she wrote a book called uh, Dear Diary, Does This Cancer Make My Ass Look Fat? And it's so good. It's a really easy read. It's very conversational. It's written like uh, diary entries. So you can read what went on for her day to day from the time she was diagnosed. She had ovarian cancer and um, she survived. So what an amazing woman. She's great energy, great spirit, spirit. And it was a really good book. So please, if you know somebody who has cancer, if you have cancer, if you know someone who could use this day-to-day kind of this is how it broke down for this person, I recommend this book highly. There's a link at wifeotp.com. Again, it's called Dear Diary. Does this cancer make my ass look fat? Awesome read. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I had a blast. Uh, Thanks for coming back every week and listening and sharing and commenting and emailing. I love all of it. Thank you so much, guys. So enjoy, Kim, uh, on this episode. What number is this? 103? 103. Thank you. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. Tell this is my husband's man cave. <laughs> uh, a couple things may have given a clue. I don't want to throw two. anyone under the bus. But there might have been a couple of clues. That's all. That's all. Uh, are we recording? Okay, good. Um, when we moved into this house long time ago, nine years ago, I was hit Bert. Bert cast a, a wide wake, right? So I was like, I need a spot for him that I don't enter. <laughs> So that's before podcasting even existed. Sure. So this was his space. And um, HG, and not HG, DIY Network uh, had a show called Man Caves. And they built this room for Bert because Bert was on Travel Channel and they did like a swap episode. So they gave us this room as a gift. So it is it is tailored for Bert, like in every single way. So then you started this podcast and it was perfect because it was like, this is Bert's room. And then he's like, you need to start your podcast. And I go, well, this is not really, <laughs> this is not really my style, but, but it's funny. Have you heard of a she shed? Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you, are your thoughts maybe we'll go there one day or? Yes, we are the wife of the party. It, we just bought a new house. Excellent. And it has an, a detached uh, structure for a new podcast studio for Bert and for me. So I'm going to get one with like my turquoise couch and all yes. my colors and you yes. know, all that. so I'm looking forward to that. That's right. If, if a man can have a man cave, obviously we deserve totally. a she shed. A hundred percent. Right. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for having me. I loved your book. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. So, I, I appreciate that. I loved it. I, I read it like that. It was a quick read, Wow. which to me, I think is good. That means you're like a conversational writer. Right. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I definitely don't do that intentionally. I, I started writing for fun 
maybe seven-ish years ago. I just had a silly blog and it's very cringeworthy to go Why? back. Why? Well, my earlier posts, oh my gosh, one of my earliest posts, I'd gone to Gay Pride in West Hollywood and somehow lost my wallet and my keys. And my friend also lost her wallet and her keys. And it was my second blog post ever. I'm just learning how to blog, how, you know, getting my feet wet, getting comfortable, just getting my thoughts out on paper. And the title of the blog post is, I wish a unicorn stole my wallet. Because I, the thought of just a human stealing my wallet really upset me. I'm like, we're at Gay Pride. We're all here for a great purpose. Well, we're all here to have fun, let loose, and, and support the gay community. So the fact that someone had robbed myself and my friend made me sad. And I was like, well, what if, what if a unicorn stole it? What if a unicorn was coming here to hang out at Gay Pride and just be all covered in rainbows and skittles and just kind of helped himself with his little <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly so uh so that 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 was that blog and well if uh, it was a unicorn he could magically levitate them out of your pocket i right? mean <laughs> <laughs> and that i would love to see and that would make me very happy so unicorns have, have free reign as far as i'm concerned to do whatever they want absolutely but in terms of the blog post uh, i maybe uh that maybe wasn't my smartest material put it that way so Oh, Halston's saying Mike to the mouth. Oh, so you may oh, need to put oh, it more. closer. Yeah. Oh gosh, okay. I'm always so loud. I'm worried. worried about I'm always speaking. so loud too. I feel like I'm blowing his ears up. But oh, got oh. you. I have what's called an inside voice and an outside voice, and then an all the time voice, which is louder than all of those. So, <laughs> when so, do you use an all the time voice? All the time. All the time. <laughs> then when is the inside voice applied? When someone tells me to be quiet. When it's when uh, they say when it's Kim, forced here, upon. Yeah, we need you about there so i'm like <laughs> that just crazy. in general but uh but, but but in terms of writing so uh past the unicorn post eventually i kind of got comfortable just getting my thoughts out on paper and getting comfortable with communicating whatever nonsense was going on in my mind uh i started writing a book just about some crazy dating stories back in 2013 14 maybe um and then i got diagnosed with cancer in 2017 so i put the dating uh, essay book down and just started keeping a diary about what was going on with the cancer right. journey. And then that turned into a book. And I'm actually, spoiler alert, writing a second book about the recurrence of cancer that I got last year. Yeah, oh, it so, recurred? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So I you look very healthy. It must you. have been handled. Yes. Now, now I am. It's been it's been a wild, wild, unexpected roller coaster of last two and a half years. But now, yeah, I'm, I'm in great health now. I'm in remission now. The hair is finally coming back. The attitude never went away. So <laughs> clearly I read yeah. that in the first book. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. that's what got her through it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You know, m most people, um, you know, cancer and chemo sort of brings you down. But I'm I'm so loud and hyperactive that it kind of just brought me to a normal level instead right. of really <laughs> me bringing me down. Right, so, right. In a way, it's probably a good exercise in learning how to Speak more quietly and right. listen a bit more and be a bit more still. I right. Guess. So a lot of good did come out of cancer in a strange way. Well, I have I have two directions I want to go in. I want to go in both directions. First one is I think to me it's really fascinating uh, an origin of someone's um, creativity as a career. Like you know, I know my husband's origin for when he went. Oh, you know, I think I'm going to try stand up. And I know when mine happened when I thought. I think I'm going to try acting. And then that went into, I think I'm going to start writing stuff for myself. And then I just kept writing. Mm -hmm. So when did you first start thinking, you know, maybe I could be a writer, you know, for like a career? Were you a teenager? Was it when you started the blog about the unicorn stealing the wallet? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very pivotal moment. Uh, 
No, you know, I I think um, it was in 2012. It was about five years before my diagnosis. And and at that time, I was actually a project manager for a branding design company in Hollywood. Okay. And I noticed, you know, parts of it I enjoyed keeping schedules, talking to clients, uh, managing website launches, doing things on the digital side. That all appealed to me. Right. But I noticed... There was also a piece that sort of wasn't being fulfilled, and I realized it was on the creative side. Got it. So writing the unicorn posts and hopefully blog posts that are a bit more intellectual than that <laughs> uh, are what kind of filled my tank and made me feel good, and it felt good to create things. So I said to my boss at the branding company, I said, as much as you know, I appreciate you and this company and, and working here, my heart is really on the creative side. Right. So he was actually very kind. He let me switch from a full-time project manager into a freelance writer. Okay. So he let me work for the company with those same clients, but in the creative side. And that was a huge treat for me because I'd already established a relationship with some of those clients, again, managing website launches and, and print collateral and things like that. And then I got to work on the creative side with those same people. So it was a kind of a seamless transition into the more corporate, uh, non-creative side of things into the creative side of things. That's a great boss. So he, he was wonderful. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. And so then I realized, you know, maybe I can try and do this as a career. So I did some freelance writing things and built up a portfolio and got more comfortable and worked with different types of clients and learned how to write with a different voice across mm -hmm. different uh, industries. And then I worked a couple of other jobs that weren't on the creative side, but still just kind of paid the bills for a while. And then eventually I got into uh, being a digital marketing manager where it was it was great because in those digital marketing managing roles, I got to put on my marketing hat, but also think as a creative right. and a copywriting perspective. So right. those jobs were very, very exciting. And then I got diagnosed when uh, I was in my second role as a marketing manager. And so since then, I wasn't able to work while I was sick, but I right. have been fortunate enough to be able to do some freelance copywriting to get me through the tough times. Right, so right. Here we are now. Here we are. So then in high school, what did you think you were going to be? <sighs> I cringe to admit this. Then <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to hear it. What is it? What is it? To this day, <laughs> my father, uh, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell everybody, dad. Oh, God. Um, so we were learning about four times. This is a legendary story in my in my family. Oh, bring we were, it. Yeah. I love it. We were them. learning about Fort Ticonderoga in like, it must have been history class. I'm sure. Yeah. And probably not science. Yeah, exactly. Probably. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I remember I was just I was graving about doing homework <laughs> And my dad was like, Kim, you have, you just have to do it. Like, I'm sorry. I know it's not fun, but just, you just got to put your head down and get through it. And I was like, dad, honestly, if I'm going to be a model, why do I have to know about <laughs> Fort Ticonderoga? And like, he just goes silent because in his head, he's like, I mean, she's kind of right. But I think also he's like, she wants to be a model. And like, <laughs> you know, on a good day, maybe I'm cute. Like, you know, we know what models look like. Models are tens, you know. I I, I know where I stand. Right? But I had big dreams. And so But that's amazing. Oh, I'm so I'm so horrified to think like <laughs> literally, Dad, why do I have to know about Fort Ticonderoga, Ticonderoga if I'm gonna be a model? And also he didn't have the heart to be like, You're never gonna be a model. <laughs> so bless his heart. I still don't know about Fort Ticonderoga. 
why but would you? Why? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've been able to live my life pretty well without really knowing too much about it. But, the, you know, having said that, kids do stay in school and do do your homework and eat your broccoli. So, yes, totally. I, totally. Yeah. That's brilliant. Horrified. That's so funny. Horrified. I was going to be a high school guidance counselor. Really? That, that was my dream. Yeah. <laughs> I went to school to do that. That's cool, though. Helping people. Like, I think there's something very noble. And I mean, even after I've gone through all my things, I want to help people, too. That's kind of why I wanted to publish the book. And I have my eye on some things in the future that really lie in the vein of wanting to help people. But that's exactly what a guidance counselor does. Yeah. I had a great one in high school. Really? Yes. I loved her. She was pretty. She was smart. She got she didn't have like a set you know, kind of schedule. I was digging all that. She knew all the students. She was friendly. Awesome. She was fun. And I was like, I think that would be a great job. You know, growing up, I grew up in really rural uh, Georgia. Model, I mean, uh, you know, you just don't think like that. Right. You don't even think doctor. I, right. I have the 74 people I graduated high school with. I think like six or eight of us went to college. So oh, wow. it's just really small town. So wow. you know, so the guidance counselor was like, that's that's a good one. I could do that. I feel like obviously I didn't. <laughs> very busy if you did that in Los Angeles. I feel like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's a different ball game now, it I think. Is. I think even then when she was doing it, I think they have to be kind of psychologists. I think it's a little bit different now. Touche. Yeah, a little bit different. So then, okay. So then, um, uh, now I forgot my second path. <laughs> I had so two good paths. I was like, okay, this conversation can go one or the other. I don't want to forget the origin because I think people who listen at least to my podcast, I I think um, my intention for the podcast is to learn mm-hmm. and to help other people learn by hearing other people's experiences. Yeah. And I know... Being from such a small town, a lot of people have a hard time finding their path mm-hmm. or they don't even know where to look for their path. Sure. So I think with someone like you, and you grew up in Boston? Uh, yeah, in a Boston? small town outside of Boston. Outside I just of Boston. say Boston, yeah. Uh-huh. But um, but you have such a different perspective and a different you know path. And for, to hear someone go, oh, I wanted to be a model. And now I've, I've turned up, up to be this freelance writer and I've written these books. And the, your book will be very helpful for people, in my opinion. Thank you. Um, my aunt passed away of ovarian cancer. Oh. She uh, caught it very late. Um, she was a nurse <laughs> and was like, I think I have a hernia. And then uh, the doctor said, yeah, you have a hernia. You're really overweight. You need to lose some weight. And wow. didn't even do a CT scan, didn't go any further. And so she was like, well, I guess I have a hernia. And then she kept working. She was a labor and delivery nurse sure. at the hospital. Oh, thank you. So then one day she was like, no, I don't feel right. Like, I don't feel right. Mm. I think I may have ovarian cancer. Oh, so, so she suspected? She yes, at a certain point. And so she went to her one of the gynecologists that she, or the OBs that is, she was very close with because she was a labor and delivery nurse and said, I think I have this. And he said, well, let's do a CT scan real quick and we'll see. And she did. Oh. And it was already on her spleen, her liver, in her omentum, um, and her stomach. That's, so, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. That's so terrifying. And, it was and awful. It's, it's just brutal. There's no other way around it. And yeah. actually, some of that story sounds sort of similar to mine. By the time we caught mine, it was actually on my ovaries, on my uterus, on my spleen, and on my liver. Wow. So, And there was, I guess, some loose tumors, I guess, sort of just in my stomach area as well. So it was all over my midsection by the time we caught it as well. And that's the unfortunate thing about ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. It's very sneaky. Uh, with breast cancer, with mammograms, it's so much easier to detect at an earlier stage. Right. But 
unfortunately with ovarian cancer, I think that's why they call it the the silent killer. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's very, very sneaky and regular just sort of checkups um, as women when we go to the gynecologist that they don't detect anything. And I've been very adamant, you know, about getting those kind of checkups every year, six months or however often you're supposed to. And right. We had no idea, no idea. until so we found crazy. mine. It was at stage three. So how did they find it again? I don't remember. I read. I read the book, but I don't remember how they found sure. it. Sure. So uh, <clears throat> I've been having some off and on pains in my upper right abdomen right. for about six months or right, so. Right, right. But the the sneaky thing was because the pains were so inconsistent. I didn't think anything was wrong. Right. Oh, maybe I ate something. Maybe I slept weird or I stretched it when I was doing cardio or something. You know, you just write a lot of these symptoms off. Sure. And because it was so inconsistent, all these months go by. Um, now I know by that time I was already at stage three and those tumors that were hurting me were my liver tumors. So it had already moved all mm. over by the time I even felt the first pain. Right. So I kind of write those pains off again for about six months. And then all of a sudden I looked in the mirror on my way to the shower one day and my stomach had just swelled up. I looked seven months pregnant. Oh my. I was like, that's odd. So I took a pregnancy test. It came out negative. I was like, did I just gain a little bit of weight and I didn't notice right? maybe <laughs> what's going on there? And then other things started to kind of appear, which was strange. Um, in the mornings, I used to drink a venti iced coffee on my way to work. Hashtag coffee junkie. But <laughs> that week that I noticed the swelling, all of a sudden I just, I didn't have much of an appetite. And I noticed I was just pouring out my coffee every morning. And as funny as it sounds, coffee, that is kind of what triggered the something's interesting. wrong alarm. Isn't that interesting? See, Starbucks saved my life. That's <laughs> Yes, exactly, right? That's really funny. Starbucks saved my life. That's funny. Free lattes for life, anyone? <laughs> um, but, but in all truth, that is sort of like as, as much as the swelling and the pains were, were odd and sort of tripped something up mentally, it was really, why don't I want coffee? That was really, something's wrong if I don't yeah, want my yeah, venti yeah. iced coffees. So... I, you know, I talked to my parents about it and they were like, you need to go to the emergency room. And this is, I don't know if I mentioned this in the book or not, but my, my father's a doctor. Pathologist. Pathologist, yes. yep. And he later told me at the time he knew I had ovarian cancer. He did? He did. W- without knowing for certain with a biopsy and having the scientific evidence. Right. You know, he's a medically trained professional. Yes. So he listens to everything I'm telling him and he says, I guess, to, you know, to my mom and to himself, those are classic ovarian cancer symptoms. Wow. But he didn't want to tell me because A, sure. he didn't want to scare me, which yeah. thank you, dad. Uh, and B, you know, you can't really make that diagnosis without knowing for sure. Yeah. But in his head, he's like, I know it. I just know it. So I go to the emergency room the next morning at Cedar sinai and I check in in the morning. They do all these tests. And the doctor on duty said, it sounds like you may have just a gallbladder stone or a gallbladder problem because your gallbladder is also in the same spot where your liver is. Mm. So I said, fine, I'll just stop eating fried chicken and all the bad foods <laughs> that may trigger a gallbladder <laughs> problem. Fine. <laughs> so they do all the tests, blood, x-rays, scans, ultrasounds, anything and everything. But then they say, you know, Kim, we want to keep you overnight. And I said, well, why? You guys don't have any tests yet, right? They're like, yeah, but, you know, you just need to put on a gown and stay up here and go, go upstairs to the... Uh, overnight rooms. And I said, okay. So sort of like sleeping with one eye open, like, well, why are they keeping me here overnight? But I guess if nothing's wrong, they would have told, or something's wrong, they would have told me. They and were then, making sure you didn't eat fried chicken. Yes. Which, they were just making sure. Which, you know, <laughs> I could have used that information 12 hours prior. prior thanks, right, guys. Right, right. But then the next morning, a woman wakes me up and 
the bomb goes off. And, you know, as far as I remember it, in my head, it goes something along the lines of, good morning, we have the results, you have cancer. It was probably a bit softer than that, but in my mind, that was just- Not a lot. Boom, 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 yeah, yeah, what I heard. And I remember just staring at the wall and everything sort of just like got really fuzzy for a second. Because sure. I was like, that, that can't be right. I have like no uh, family history of cancer. This just didn't seem like, it was just shocking. There's no way. Right. Yeah. And it was so, it was one of those moments where, in like television shows or movies throughout my life, I remember watching those kind of things and seeing that moment where a doctor says, you have cancer. And I remember watching the person's expression being like, what would that feel like? What mm. would it feel like for someone to say you have cancer? Like, here's a death sentence on a plate. Yeah. There you go. And then so all in that moment, I'm like, crap. Now I know what it feels ah! like. This is so not what I envisioned. Yeah. And so everything kind of got hazy for a second. And I kind of was trying to take in what she was saying, but it it just nothing computed. Nothing sure. made sense. It just it was it was just surreal and watery and thick and just weird. And she left. And I was like, uh, so, I, you know, she gives me this news and I'm alone. And then she leaves and, you know, I'm alone again. And like, well, now what? Am I going to die? I mean, am I going to die? And yeah. Two months. I was thirty six. I'm I'm thirty nine now, but I was thirty six, and I was like, "Am I giving? Am I going to make it to my fortieth birthday? Like, oh my gosh, I've never like adopted a dog or gone skydiving or gone to Hawaii, and all of a sudden, like the list of things I hadn't done was just tick 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 tick. Yeah. So it was it was terrible, and I call my boyfriend and I call my parents, and just everything everything was just like shrapnel, just, yeah. you know, just smoke. Everything and, shattered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then later on in the afternoon, my magical oncologist, who I call my rock star cancer ninja, yeah, yeah. Dr. Andrew Lee at Cedar He's very Sunrise. handsome, by the way. There's a picture in the book. He's very handsome. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's an understatement. He's like sort of a supermodel. He walked in and I was like, Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> I know. He's really... I was waiting for the picture you were talking oh. about. And I was like, she's got to have a picture in this book oh. somewhere. Oh. I mean, if there's a picture of you in all your wigs, there's got to be this guy. He's really good looking. <laughs> he... Not to make things weird with him, but he... <laughs> Did he send some extra blood down to the ovary area? Everything. For I mean, everything. I was like, okay, cancer is awful, but... You? <laughs> Hello, sir. Hello. You'll be taking care of me. Uh, you make treatment fun. You do. You do. He puts the treat in treatment. He really does. That's he's great. scrumptious. He's lovely. Um, so yes, he's he's very much eye candy. Well, we'll say that. And I have told him as a side note. I was like, and another one of my doctors, my radiologist, is also very handsome as well. So I do remember saying to Dr. Lee, my rock star cancer ninja, at some point, I was like. I mean, are we feeling like a hunks of Cedar Sinai calendar at some point? Right? <laughs> and he's like, I doubt it. But I'm, that's I'm, so funny because my husband's cardiologist at Cedars. Yep, gorgeous, drop dead I, gorgeous. They should have a hunks of Cedar Sinai. I'm telling you, I've I've mentioned this to a few people there, and a few people have been like, okay, that's not like a terrible idea. It's a fantastic I mean, idea. I would buy it as a fundraiser. I would too. I'd buy oh, a calendar. I would buy it even if the money didn't go anywhere good. Like. <laughs> Just to adorn my walls with right? handsome doctors. I mean, who doesn't right? want that? So, uh, so yes, Doctor Doctor Handsome Doctor Handsome Lee, Doctor <laughs> Rockstar Cancer Ninja Handsome Andrew Lee is is very very handsome. But in addition to that, he his bedside manner is unlike anything I've ever encountered. It's you know it's the worst scariest moment of your life. I just found out I had cancer, and by the way, the woman that had come in in the morning, she didn't say 
and I get it. She couldn't say, I'm guessing it's this stage. I'm guessing it's this stage. No, yeah. uh, all I hear is you have cancer. You have two weeks to live. Obviously right. That's not what the case. you heard, not what but, she said. Yeah. Right. All she said is, you know, we, we suspect it's cancer or this is probably cancer. But, I, you know, she didn't give me a stage or a time frame, which she couldn't have. It's also so terrifying, though. Sure. Like so the unknown. Right. Right. And that, by mm. no means do I blame her. But it was just not having that information made me run to worst case scenarios, sure. which is you don't have very much time left. Right. So Dr. Handsome Pants comes in. Yeah. And he says, very calmly, he's looking me in the eyes and he has this voice that just washed over me like, you know, a quiet ocean wave of soothing energy. And he says, we suspect it's cancer. We don't know for sure, but I'm going to keep you here for another night. We're going to do a biopsy tomorrow. But I promise you, Kim, no matter what this is, you're going to get through this. I'm going to get you through this and we'll do this together. And I exhaled the most massive sigh of my entire life. I felt all the air go out of my body and just like this dramatic moment of, ah, I'm going to be okay, right? Oh, and wow. it just felt so wonderful. So he in that, I'll never forget that, in that moment, he just brought me from level 10 panic yeah. to maybe I'll make it out of here alive. Right. And he kept his promise. He held my hand the entire way. He's always checking in with me and he's just, that kind of bedside manner, I think, is something you just don't learn. It's something you just you have. have. I agree. Right? It's They're the kind caretakers. Of, exactly. She's very and different I've, than a scientist. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and I've said this to him and, and other people at Cedar sinai many times. I To him, I know for a fact I'm not a patient. Right. I'm not a number. Right. I'm not a statistic. I'm me. I'm Kim. I'm Kim Tronic. I'm a human. I This is me right here. I'm right. not just a faceless, you know, number or part of a study or whatever it is. Right. He really cares about me as a human. Right. So that made it a lot easier for me to handle knowing that I was cared for in that manner. That's great. So Dr. Lee is just, I can't say enough good things about him. And you seem from the book that you had <clears throat> a lot of support from friends and obviously your parents and your family, mm -hmm. but they weren't physically here. And your boyfriend, John, mm -hmm. it sounded like he was a rock star. He, I, I told him since then and to this day, he he is and was my rock. I, yeah. I got to give him credit for every chemo session I have. He actually took off of work and came to Cedars with me and sat by my side. And we watched a ton of Netflix on the iPad. And, right. You know, made it made it as fun as possible yeah. if you can. You know, costumes, wigs and iPad yes. and ha having him. And he would run to Starbucks and get me snacks. And he he I wouldn't have been able to get through it without him, honestly. I Like you said, yeah, my family was Well, you would have, but... Because you're strong, no. okay. It just would have been much more difficult, not and probably well. more more lonely and probably scarier. But you could, yes, you could have. You're okay. very strong. I'll I'll, ac I'll accept that. Thank you. I'll accept. <laughs> he just that. made it a more uh, palatable experience, tolerable. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing too, with having my family on the on the East Coast, um, my friends here became my family. Yeah, community, love, support. Yeah. Um, at the end of my book, I talk about my kind of eight life lessons, my eight big takeaways. And one of the things I really started to understand the gravity of is the importance of that which is intangible. Right. Right. It's like it's so easy to value money and cars and houses mm -hmm. and the things are sort of, I think, programmed to value and to want. Mm -hmm. But the importance of that which you can't hold in your hands, but you hold in your heart. Right. Like love and friendship and community and support. That's the crucial stuff. Absolutely. Honestly. And on those hard days where I was just sick from chemo and everyone's at work, but I had people calling me, texting me, Facebooking me. Can I come over? Can I bring you things? Can I bring you food? Which, no, I'm sick from chemo. I'm 
I don't want food at all, but thank you. <laughs> Basically. But the gesture matters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or or people just coming over to like just do something as simple as watch television yes. with me. Or if I did want to get out of the house, meet me for coffee or meet me for dinner, though I couldn't eat too much. But right. the community became everything. Right. And I think that's so important. And that's why um, I'm glad to see that there are are support communities out there for cancer patients, mm-hmm. cancer survivors, people going through treatment. Um, it's it's nice to see that. And I yeah. think that's that's crucial. There's nothing more significant, I think, than someone who knows what you're going through being like, I know how you feel mm-hmm. and I'm in it with you. Or people who haven't even been through it but are still there for you just to yeah. listen yeah. And, to, and to hear you out. Venting, thinking of how important. If you have a bad day at work, what makes you feel better, right? Yes, to vent. Vent it out yeah. and just gripe. And I think the act of getting it out and is releasing it. Yeah. And so writing became that for me and talking mm-hmm. about it became that for me. And now I'm so vocal about my journey because that helps me heal. That helps me totally. too. So it does. And your book was what one of the things I liked about your book is with um as busy as we all are, I could read your day entry and go do something else. Sure. <laughs> and then read your day entry and then go do something. So I didn't have to sit down and read your book in like a 45-minute patch to be able to get something out of it. I could sit down and read your book in five minutes. Like when I'm at the bus stop waiting for my daughter, I'd Mm. pull up my Kindle app on my phone and Mm. read for the five minutes I was waiting. And I would have gone through one or two of your days. Sometimes your days in your book are longer, Mm. but there's some of them that are like, this day, I feel like shit. I'm vomiting. I look like hell. I'm wearing my purple wig. Have a nice day. And you're like, awesome. I've just read about one day. That's amazing. So Exactly. Um, your wigs okay okay here's here's something I love about you from this book I don't know you obviously I just met you today but I think I got a good sense of you from the book I believe levity is the most healing thing on this planet for mm-hmm. trauma for illness for for anything uh, for injury if you can find some way to make it fun mm-hmm. and play mm-hmm. And light, it's just, it just heals. I think it just heals everything. It does. So I don't, I think that was your intention with having all these wigs and naming them, it which was. I was like, this woman may be my soul sister because <laughs> I would probably have every wig and name them too. Oh, yeah. And it, you dressed in costume for every chemo. I loved it. Thank you. That was so amazing. I thank you. I appreciate that. The, it actually became a gradual thing for the first, was it? First, like two or three, I think actually the first two chemos, I didn't wear anything. I Uh still had my hair and I just wore whatever was comfortable. Then, you know, my hair was about to fall out. So we shaved my head. So I just wore wigs. Yeah. Then around the fifth or sixth chemo, I felt a little playful. Uh So it actually started out as props. The first prop I brought, I'm trying to remember what the first one was. I think it was a martini glass. Yes. Um, I, I said, you know, why don't I bring something fun just to make the chemo bay a little more like a party? Yeah. So I'm like looking in my kitchen. What can I bring right now? I'm not going to bring a blender. <laughs> you know, I can't quite bring my flat screen television. <laughs> what else we got? So I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know why I settled on this. But I was like, oh, I have like these pretty like frosted purple martini glasses and a cocktail shaker. Yeah. So I bring them and I was like, oh, these will make like the perfect Instagram photo. I did it for the gram. I hate yeah, saying yeah. that, but I totally, <laughs> totally did it for the gram. Yeah. So I pour some water in the martini glass and, uh, 
you know, the nurses kind of go by and they see me holding a cocktail shaker and a martini <laughs> glass. I'm like, it's water, I promise. And they're like, that's cool. And so I was like, anybody want like a chemo teeny? Like, you know, they're not fun, but you know, they look good. So that was cool. I had a good time with that. So then I don't know if there was the next chemo session or the one after that, but I brought a pineapple and <laughs> I did nothing with it. I didn't cut it up. I didn't eat it, but just like have it. They're beautiful. Yeah, right? they they're are. Great. They smell good too. Sure. Even without cutting them. I and, love them. Yeah. Right. And I think pineapple just signifies a good time, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. In the South, it means welcome. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Welcome. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Welcome to my welcome chemo. Welcome, chemo. Yeah, I exactly. invite poison into my body to kill the poison that's already in my body. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I definitely didn't give it that much thought, but looking back, <laughs> yes. 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 So I have this like amazing pineapple with me the whole time in my chemo bay. And again, that felt great. So I was like, you know, maybe I should kick things up a notch. <laughs> so after the pineapple incident, I had my hysterectomy, my splenectomy, I had big surgery. So we need to take a few weeks off so I could recover. But by the time I was healthy enough to go back in for the second half of treatment, which was nine more chemo sessions, I said, okay, pineapple, great. Martini glass, great. What else we got? What else we got? So I started going to the costume shop. <laughs> so my first chemo back was probably my favorite costume, which was luau day which was my infamous coconut bra and a fake flower uh lay necklace yeah and just kind of did the hula and my bay a little bit and my favorite thing was you know if you have to use a restroom you're still hooked up to this uh your iv pump and you have to kind of roll it with you down the hallway mm -hmm. so i have this you know bright green wig on i have my chemo uh infusion pump and i have my Coconut bra, Coconut bra yep. and lay on, flower lay on. And I'm sort of just like rolling. I could like hear in my uh, head, like the soundtrack. They see me rolling, <laughs> they hating, you know, just kind of rocking it out, going to the bathroom. And like all the nurses kind of are like, yes, <laughs> that's great. That's the way you do it. That's the way I roll. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the way I was rolling. And it felt so sort of satisfying to see everyone else's reaction mm -hmm. and that sort of affected my own reaction in sure. a great way because if they're laughing and I'm laughing yeah and also there's this like quote I told my doctor which I still stand by is it's hard to be scared of chemo when you're wearing a coconut bra right <laughs> like can you really be that terrified when you look down and you just see like coconuts on your chest like, no probably not no probably not <laughs> no. so it lightened the mood yeah. and then the costumes kept evolving from there yeah and every time I would go back and get new hilarious costumes and I realized like eventually the costumes became like a suit of armor for me interesting so it kind of gave me this like sense of strength warriorness yeah yeah that's amazing kind of like you know a football player will throw on all the gear and sort of really get in that mindset that's sort of what i did i'd throw on my gear at eight in the morning and be like chemo day but then i'd look in the mirror and be like but actually i feel kind of like fabulous right, right so it just kind of kept evolving from there after uh luau day there was like princess day gangster day got like a grill yeah it looked very tough a pimp Vamp. day. You had a pimp. Had Is that pimp. the same as gangster? It was a pimp. Oh, yeah. Same you had thing. a oh, yeah, thing that said pimp on it. In I had book. a pimp cup. I'm not going to lie. I, <laughs> I had a pimp cup. Almost as good as a martini glass, but pretty close. It was great. And just seeing other patients reactions, you know, the chemo, I think. And this was something I thought as well, like from what you see in the movies, chemo is scary and it is. But you think about what's a chemo ward look like a bunch right. of people who aren't well, yeah. who don't feel well, yeah. literally getting poison injected into their bodies. It just sounds like not a trip to the beach. Not right? happy. No. That doesn't sound happy. No. But what I discovered was 
it was actually a lot happier than I thought. And part of that maybe was myself wanting to bring some of the happiness. But there was also a bigger sense of happiness than I anticipated. Like mm-hmm. all of my nurses, I would joke around with. I'm actually friends with a couple of them now. That's great. Following pretty much all of them on Instagram. I stay in touch with them. That's um, great. Several of them reached out and said they bought my book and sent me pictures. So awesome. I'm still in touch with it. It's just, it's a lot lighter and more positive than I anticipated. Right. And so I enjoyed trying to also bring a piece of that light to other people as right. well. And I remember a couple of instances i think one once was <laughs> once was devil day ah! i had my pitchfork and my tail and my horns and i remember i already had my hysterectomy by that point and i was like well if i still had my ovaries i'd have deviled legs but <laughs> no 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 deviled eggs now because of my hysterectomy but um an older woman who i think was receiving treatment herself just kind of saw me came by and stopped and chatted with me and said how much she loved my costume i had my devil red hair And I could see in her face and in her spirit how much that made her feel better, which made me feel better. Absolutely. So it kind of became mutually beneficial. Right. It gave me strength. It made other people laugh and sort of just took on, like I said, a life of its own. And it just made sense to keep doing that. Well, I believe that kind of energy Mm -hmm. is obviously not as important as the chemicals you're putting in your body, but I think it can have a a large impact on how they work. Like how this is what I believe. I believe I believe in Reiki. I believe in all the things that you were doing that were more the metaphysical, spiritual mm-hmm. um, aspect of treatment. I believe all that works. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as powerfully as the medication you're putting in your body, but mm-hmm. but it does work. I believe that energy movement and your mind, body, spirit connection has everything to do with it. One thing that I wish my aunt had done but she was i think stage four by the time they Mm. found her so Mm. she was really it was not great um but she got very down because she was a reader Mm. she read voraciously and um she couldn't comprehend the short-term memory she couldn't read books anymore and it just shut her down and i was like sending her shirley temple movies which was, <laughs> you know she's only 67 so she's not old but she really loved like shirley temple movies and she loved old westerns and i was sending her all these like watch this watch this watch this watch this come on keep it up keep it up yeah and i think she tried to keep it up but she didn't reach out for help mm-hmm. she wouldn't let anybody even drive her to chemo mm. she Worked with a, you know, ward full of nurses. She wouldn't let them help her. Mm. And I wonder, maybe she wouldn't have survived, but I wonder if she would have lasted longer. Sure. It was 18 months after she was diagnosed, and it wasn't long enough for me. I needed it longer. Of course. But I wonder if she had that community you were talking about, if Mm. she would have allowed it, because she didn't allow it. Everybody wanted to help her. But I think that makes a difference in your recovery and possibly even your survival. Uh, you know? I agree 100%. Yeah. I, I think there's something to be said for mind, body, soul connection. Yeah. yeah. And several people throughout that journey and since then have said, how did you stay so positive? Right. I mean, and the truth is, I had dark moments. I did. I had very dark moments. But I sort of maybe discovered on accident, though, that the best thing to do is let myself sit in that dark moment and hate everything and Mm -hmm. feel useless and depressed and sad and 
just purposeless and mm-hmm. sick, but then not stay in that place. Right. So, and even to this day, I do that. If I'm if I'm bummed out or sad about something, I say, okay, no problem. Let yourself feel awful. Say a ton of swear words. You know, if you want to break the remote, that did happen once. Um, <laughs> and a little temper tantrum. Uh, but then move on from it. Try yeah. and, you know, let yourself feel awful for a day yeah. or two, whatever you need. But letting that drag out can turn really dark. Yeah. So, it sticks to you after a certain point. Totally. It sticks to you. So yeah, you do have to feel it. You can't deny it. You exactly. can't just act like it's not there. Right. And I think as a as a as a species, we humans try and uh maybe roll over it or bury it or maybe don't don't want to deal with it. And I get it because dealing with it is uncomfortable and it's it's not a good time. Sure. But I think a lot of the time we try and just roll past a lot of those dark moments mm-hmm. and just move on. But I, I've learned like, okay, it, it's totally cool to sit in this for like a day. Do what you got to do. If you want to just be antisocial for a day and just let yourself wallow and feel like maybe bad for myself or self-pity or whatever it is. Yeah. But then tomorrow we're going to wake up. It's a new day. You're going to go exercise or call a friend or do whatever you got to do to make yourself feel better, whatever right. that looks like for you. Right. So I think that's that's one of the key things I took away too was like, feel those bad moments, mm-hmm. but don't camp out there basically yeah i believe that your bad moments actually allow your good moments to be better agreed so if you don't really feel your bad moments how can you feel your good moments you can't they they it's yin and yang you know that you just you can't have one without the other exactly so why would you deny one because essentially you're denying the other and that's you know? not like i mean life no. is never good 100 no. percent of the time for anyone that's just that's just not life life yeah. is a roller coaster but i've noticed I think at least personally, one of my goals is I used to have these huge dips, these huge roller coasters of ups and downs, just mm-hmm. up, down, up, down, just massive drops. I know that's understandable considering cancer and chemo and surgeries and certain losses, things like that. But I think for me, the key is in those dark moments, when I move on, trying to learn something from it. And then sometimes those dark moments and those those drops don't go down as deep. So whereas it looks like a very, very, very steep roller coaster before all of this, now it kind of looks like these more gentler sways of uh-huh. ups and downs instead of these huge dark drops. So isn't that interesting? So one thing you took away from cancer is that maybe things aren't they don't seem as bad post-cancer as they did pre-cancer. A hundred percent. Same or similar scenario affects you differently. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, My my reaction. Your reaction, Is different, right? Because life is always going to throw lemons at you, right? It's always going to throw softballs and lemons and anything else that it wants to throw at you. But I think the key is how you receive those. Yes. Right? Because we can't control a lot of life. We can't control other people. What we can control is how we receive it and our own reaction to it. Right. So- Cancer did me a big favor, in a sense, by shifting my perspective. Mm-hmm. And I see things a lot differently now. I see things through a very different filter than how I did. Right. And I'm so grateful for that because I'm a lot healthier now, mentally, physically, spiritually. So cancer actually brought me a lot of good in a strange way. Well, you know, I think glass half full is the way to look at everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You survived. That's amazing. You survived twice now, I guess. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I didn't know about the second one. But that's amazing. Thank uh, you. So then if you can, the glass is the same, half full or half empty. Mm-hmm. It's just how you perceive it, right? Exactly. How do you perceive it? Exactly. Half full all day long for everything, even 
the trauma. Mm-hmm. I think because the trauma, like you said, teaches you something, teaches you resilience or or um, re- uh, uh, I'm, I'm losing my word. Um, <laughs> Uh, resourcefulness or yes. you know teaches you kind of your value all these any kind of trauma it does or illness serious illness like that for sure yeah. and I think that was one of the things I most enjoyed about finishing off that first book and really sitting and reflecting okay book's done what did I learn so I actually mm. had a great time sitting and reflecting what did cancer teach me and mm-hmm. that's where those sort of eight life lessons at the mm-hmm. end kind of come together and. I think it's impossible to go through something this impactful and not learn something from it. Yeah. I hear a lot of cancer survivors say that it changed their life in different ways. And when you just go through something like that, you just you can't come out of it and not look at things in a whole different light. Right. So, yeah, I definitely have a better attitude just in general. I I take care of myself a heck of a lot more, more spiritual. Um, I'm definitely more mentally healthy, which... Mm -hmm is a big thing I credit for cancer because I never, not that I necessarily maybe needed a therapist before cancer, but I definitely had a lot of, I think, toxic uh, thought patterns. Sure. Maybe behaviors that weren't so healthy. And I viewed myself in the world in a certain way. And then you go through this and you, it's just a whirlwind. You come out the other side. And then I I didn't actually start seeing a therapist until I finished chemo, Mm -hmm. but I'm sort of picking up the pieces I think my hair is maybe sort of starting to grow back a little bit. I still feel a bit mangled. But Mm -hmm. I said, I should probably get some help just to deal with all that anxiety. And two years later, I'm still in therapy. Oh, girl, preaching to the choir. (laughs) Let me tell you. Oh, it's so good. Preaching to the choir. It's so good. You know, I, I, the way I feel about therapy is if you want to learn how to play golf Mm -hmm. effectively, Mm -hmm. don't you need a coach? 100%. And if your life is not optimal obviously as much as it can be mm-hmm. if you're not happy in a relationship you're not happy in your job if you're not happy with your body image or yourself or your anger uh, adjustments and all this stuff why wouldn't you go and find a coach exactly and that's what a therapist is to me is just a, a mentor and a coach and someone who has more knowledge and experience about how the mind and how the mind body spirit if you get the right person works so it just makes sense to me you know, you'd get a coach for tennis. You'd you have a mechanic fix your car. But right. Don't go to therapy. It's oh my god. Right. There's. It's yeah. funny, and I actually myself felt like, do I really need it? Can I just like get through this myself? Oh, so many people do. Yeah. I don't know why. And I was actually almost a little nervous to tell my parents. I was like, Are they going to judge me? Are they going to think? I'm not as strong as they perceive me. And I was apprehensive about it. And I think that's why I probably waited until the end of chemo to seek help. Mm -hmm. But also too, just like you were saying, it's like I'm seeing an oncologist and a surgeon to fix my body. Why wouldn't I see someone to fix my mind? Because honey, that was traumatic. Right. I mean, even just the nurse coming in and saying, (laughs) so we're thinking it's cancer. Okay, (laughs) bye-bye. I mean, that in and of itself is traumatic. So why would you go, oh, I got it, I got it. I don't know. But we all, that's how we think as a culture. Right. Is I I got it, I got it, I'm good, I'm good. The first time I started therapy, I was 23. And I was the same way. Right. But I felt my life was so off in a ditch and I had no uh, adult mentor, anybody to like grab a hold of. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I got to find somebody who's farther down this path 
than me mm-hmm. or I'm staying in this ditch. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's my choice. You stay in the ditch or you find someone who knows how to stay in the road. Sure. So uh, I was really nervous to tell my family also. I actually kept it a secret for a long time. Did you? How'd they react yep. when you finally told them? Uh, I think my dad, uh, who's, you know, wears overalls still every day, yes. really rural, very country fella. Love it. Just doesn't get it. I don't think he's ever... He gets me on one level, and mm-hmm. then there's this other level of me that he goes, I don't know, I don't understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no idea who this person is. Sure. I don't know how she grew up like catching frogs, and now she's doing this. I don't get it. I think he has that. So he just kind of went, okay, whatever. But, you know, for a long time, he, I, I guess he's, he just watched. Mm. You know, he's watching. What's this going to do? Mm. You know, is she going to change who she is? What's this going to do? And I think over time he was like, oh, okay, this is actually really helping her. Um, now, I, he would never himself go to therapy ever. Not ever. Sure. Not in one million years would he ever go to therapy. I think I sort of had that same apprehension. My yeah. my father is the most loving man. Hi, dad. Love you. Um, but he's a doctor. He's yeah. a scientist. Yeah. You know, he went to medical school. He is a math numbers science kind of man fact based right so Mm -hmm. when it comes to emotions and things like mental health i think that's just not how his brain works sure so i was like man he's i kind of thought yeah maybe he's not going to understand this or think different of me in some way but i i quickly learned as soon as i told him they were like well, yeah, why'd you wait so long? Duh. <laughs> like, oh, my bad. Okay, cool. I thought you guys were going to like think that was a bad idea. And like, no, why, 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 why did you take so long to even make that decision? But, but that was also my apprehension mm-hmm. is, you know, if he doesn't get it, maybe other people won't get it. Maybe, I don't know. I just, I, I just was fearful or scared. But yeah. now I'm like, guess what I learned at therapy today, everybody? Now I just like, I won't show up about it. I like yeah, yeah. post about what I learned. I like actually have taken some selfies of me and my therapist. So maybe I'm a little too comfortable <laughs> it now. It's an but. amazing journey with a therapist if you find the right one. It's just like anything else. You know, if you go to a personal trainer and they just hit incline all day long, you're not going to make any changes in your body. Right. So it's the same with a therapist. Yep. If you go to a therapist who isn't effective for what you need, mm-hmm. it's a waste of both of your time. So I think people don't understand that either. You know, Bert, went to one therapist uh, my husband and was like guy doesn't know what he's talking about and Mm. then it took me years to get him to find to go to somebody else because i was like he's just not the right match for you Mm -hmm. you know that's okay sure you know not everybody's friends with everybody so it's okay um but anyway so i want to talk to you about the like more metaphysical spiritual work that you did through this process sure were you into reiki or crystals or any of that stuff before oh my gosh the antithesis of into that <laughs> really stuff. so this is kind of beautiful i can't so I wait have, yeah so i have two older brothers hi rob hi brian uh lovely lovely people i adore them they are my everything we're all very very close uh they're both very into yoga and energy and in that whole scene and for years they'd been telling me you should try this stuff Mm -hmm. and I don't know what my resistance was I just thought you know that's not for me that's fine for them but it's just not for me Mm -hmm. then I was getting some bad anxiety and some panic attacks kind of throughout my 30s and Brian the middle I'm the youngest Rob is the oldest Brian is the middle I'm I'm the youngest and Brian in particular had said you should try meditation Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know, just I was like, that's probably just not for me. So mm-hmm. I maybe tried it a couple of times and I said, eh, I'm too in my head. It's not, it's just, it doesn't work for me. Right. Then I get this diagnosis 
And obviously I'm a disaster. Mm-hmm. My I'm getting these wretched heart palpitations. Oof. My anxiety is is just full force. And my heart palpitations were actually so worrisome that I told Dr. Hot Stuff, Dr. Lee, uh, I think I'm having heart attacks. And he gave me the sweetest look and he's like, Kim, I promise you're not having heart attacks. Like it's just anxiety right. and it'll get easier as this goes on. But I, I promise you, you're, but I think they did an EKG just to like make sure. No, obviously I'm fine. Right. So I started thinking about like, oh, like CBD oil. I'd heard great things about that. And to this day, I still take CBD oil every right. day. And that actually did help a lot. But beyond that, I knew there had to be things I should try. Mm-hmm. So um, Brian's girlfriend at the time, now was not, now his wife, had sent me uh, just all these uh, MP3 files of some guided meditations. And I just went into it kind of with an open mind and an open heart. And at that point, I was thinking, I'll try anything mm-hmm. that will get me through this, that will help. And I found that it was hard for me to focus on the meditations and get into it at first. But over time, like, I really started to enjoy it. Right. So I started getting into meditating every day. And then that sort of led to like, wow, there really is something to energy and the mind. And that sort of opened me up to the idea of crystals mm-hmm. and the energy healings. Uh, I, I saw this amazing woman and I think it's called Sat Nam Rasayan, which is like, I think the art of healing with inner silence. And I I had no idea what to expect. But again, my brother Brian recommended this great woman in Los Angeles. And her father is actually one of the most renowned yogis out there. I think her grandfather is the one who founded uh, Kundalini Kundalini, Kundalini Kundalini yoga. Mm -hmm. And so she's just very like in tune with everything. And I go to her house for these healings. And it was incredible. I I'd never tried that kind of thing. I didn't know what to expect. And she would just, you know, place her hands in certain parts of my body and and maybe do some chanting, whatever, some good music in the background. I noticed every time I would leave, it felt like I had a 90-minute massage. Wow. My head was clear. Mm -hmm. My body felt warm and relaxed and my muscles weren't tense. And I was like, wow, there's really something to this. Mm -hmm. Dad, I know you don't believe this stuff, but there's really something to this. Uh, I felt it physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. And I remember just driving home feeling so calm and so clear and being like, "There's this works. Yeah. So I I completely believe in that stuff. So I think going into that experience with an open mind Mm -hmm. and an open heart and willing to receive new experiences made it more effective. I think it does. You know, I think what happens with or at least my experience, I I st- had some Reiki treatment when I was 20. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a had a rough childhood, right? So I think when you have a trauma or an illness like that, that mm-hmm. is traumatic mm-hmm. emotionally, that at a certain point, your need to survive overtakes your ego, your brain, your whatever it is, and you start trusting in a different way where you go, I'll take anything you put on the table. Yes. I will try. You want me to drink seven up seven times a day? Let's do it. <laughs> I'll do anything to get from this place to a better place. Yes. And it's a gift in a certain way because I think I see so many people going, you know, that's just hocus pocus. They're blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you've never been in a place where you would do anything right. to get from A to B. Absolutely. And then when you do that, you realize how effective, or I realized how effective that was for my own mental health and healing. Mm-hmm. And then you go, well, that totally works. It's 100%. You you store so much stuff in your body. Yes. So why wouldn't someone be able to, and your body is electric. 
It's yes. electricity. Yes. So why wouldn't someone else who is also electric yep. be able to draw electricity out of your body or put it in your body? It just makes sense to me. Like, especially, I'm just speaking about Reiki. Yeah, but, no, you're right. But with crystals too and rocks and, you know, so minerals affect us when we put them in our body. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't they affect us when they're sitting right next to us? It, it, I don't understand the hesitation that and the skepticism people have. Exactly. And I think before I'd gone through this whole journey, the reason, maybe the reason or, or some underlying thought in my head was, well, if I can't see it, does it make sense? And I think that's right. where my dad and the science yeah. and the numbers, can it's you prove provable. it? Right. Exactly. exactly. But then once I actually experienced the difference for myself, yep. that was very eye-opening for yeah. me. And now I still am very much into meditation and yeah. that whole scene. And it feels great. Yeah, so. it does. And even, even if it's hocus pocus, what did you just say? It feels great. So why so not? So does it matter? Exactly. I mean, we pay so much money to get drunk and nobody thinks anything about that. <laughs> so who cares if I pay money for somebody to like hover their hands over me and I go, I feel amazing. Exactly. It's great. Why Why judge it? Exactly. <laughs> you're not hurting anyone. In fact, no. you're healing yourself. Exactly. I, I think. Me so, too. Exactly. Me too. Yeah. So do you still uh, meditate? I do. You do. I do. I, uh, I One of my favorite channels on YouTube is called The Honest Guys. Oh. And I'll just usually before bed, just kind of flip through their playlist and like try out different ones. And they have different ones for different things. Interesting. And I just love it. Their voice is so soothing. So it's a guided meditation. Yes. The Honest Guys. The I'll Honest check that Guys. Out. Yeah. I'm obsessed with them. They're so lovely. That's so cool. Yeah. And it just, again, it just feels great. It just resets my mind. It makes me feel very relaxed physically. Helps, I, I think it helps me sleep better. Right. But also, I'm still taking the CBD oil. So yeah. these things that I kind of discovered during the journey, I still practice and I'm still in therapy, right. still carry with me today. And I think that's why I feel a lot more grounded right. than I ever have. Yeah. It's because I'm still doing these things. And it forces breaking. you to be real, right? Yeah. To get real with yourself. Oh, yeah. And to be real with everybody else, right? Yes. It's, it's such a gift, I think, that um, piece of it to just be, I would imagine, I've never had a health issue like this, but I would I would imagine it would be so scary that you would all of a sudden go, why am I pretending to be something else? Let's just get down to the brass tacks here. This is who I am. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I don't want. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to do for a living. This is who I want to be married to or not married at all. I want to adopt a dog. Did you ever adopt a dog? TBD. Not yet. Um, <sighs> still on the list. Still yeah, yeah, very yeah. much on the list. Uh, now, you know, we none of us know how much time we have granted. Of course not. But yeah, in that moment, the, it was a very fast revolving list of that which I hadn't done. And now, I, you know, I still have my list of things I want to accomplish. Sure. And that looks a bit different from from what it did. But I think that was an important point you made about getting real is before I went through this, I sort of lived in like what I call a filter of fear. I was sort of scared to go for my goals. Interesting. I was scared to, I you know, I've been blogging and things, but I was still scared of what people would think. Um, I'd started writing that dating essays book I was talking about, but I still wasn't really immersing myself. I wasn't really going for it. I wasn't blogging as often as I should. I still had this very overarching fear of really delving into that which I wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. 
it, it was just it was all fear based. I was afraid. I was uh, afraid of failing. I was afraid of people judging me. I was afraid of just kind of everything. Really job hunting for the jobs I wanted, not the jobs I just thought I could get. Right. And then this whole thing goes on. You know, I have a lot of these realizations and I think everything shifted from a place of fear into a place of hope. So it did force me to get real about what I wanted right. and what I would do to make those goals happen. And now I have this book. Now I'm working on the second book. Right. And I'm really looking with a clear lens as far as what I want for my future. And I'm starting to really see that a lot more clearly, even in recent months and even weeks. Mm -hmm. And now I operate from a place of hope not a place of fear. That's amazing. Right. It's 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 a powerful thing. Yeah. Fear and hope are both very, very powerful drivers. Yes. They can really push you to make or not make certain uh -huh. decisions. And if you really live, I think, through that filter of fear, you're just missing out on so much. That's right. I wouldn't have written this book. I wouldn't be writing the second book. I wouldn't be in therapy. I wouldn't try and rock the short haircut. You know? <laughs> Which is adorable. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, chemo did... Something from my hair. I will say that. <laughs> did but, it? Did it come back the same? Oh I have, no! I have, he, yeah. So much better. So much better. So much better. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, my hair was so like long and raggy before that, and it all came out, and I was sad about looking like a little alien raisin. And then the hair came in, and now I'm like, I feel like a fluffer nut. I just like I pet myself. I love the hair. It's great. Thank you. Yeah, chemo, chemo. You know, it's awful, but at least one thing that it blesses you with is amazing hair afterwards. That's so, awesome. Thank you, chemo. I know one friend that uh, started chemo with straight hair, and when it grew back, it was like kinky curly. I've heard that too. That's so crazy. Huh? I know the 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 hair follicles. They just they get they get drunk and they just do yeah, all right? sorts of weird stuff. From all that kind chemo. of funky stuff. Yeah. Well, about your fear filter, I think under fear is shame, mm. and that people will do anything to not feel shame. So afraid of failing, you'd be so embarrassed or ashamed. So if you can find that, to me, I I think about myself like a five-year-old. Mm. Would I ever want a five-year-old to feel ashamed for failing? Not ever. So why would I let myself feel that? No shame in trying and failing. There's no shame in that. And you'd right. say that to a five-year-old. Try to climb the tree. If you fall out, it's okay. Right. Try again. Right. Pick a different tree. Right. And maybe start with the jungle gym and then go to the tree. It's <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, yeah. But that shame is such a deep uh, judgmental feeling. Right. Where fear isn't a judging, I don't think, at least in my opinion. Mm. I don't think fear places judgment back on yourself, but shame does. Right. And so fear, I think, is just right on top of that shame. And if you could figure out what it would make you feel ashamed of, I think you can go in there and insert your hope and go, no, actually, you'd be okay. Write your unicorn wallet stealing blog exactly. and, <laughs> and fly that freak flag all day long because oh, that's amazing. So horrified that I shared that part. No, but, but it's somewhere to start. Right. But then everybody who's listening can right. go, I can start there too. Right. I can start small and and go, look what I did. And it was so goofy. Right. But look where I'm now. Sure. And if I'd never started that. It wouldn't have morphed so there's into. There's no shame. Right. I think that's an actually really interesting point about the underlying, like the underbelly of fear. That's that's a, a being shame. That's a, uh -huh. that's a really interesting point. I think, I think you're spot on with that. But I think if we can sort of unpack why we feel that way, right. how we got to feeling that way, mm -hmm. address it, and then try and just think of it not what if I fail, 
what if I succeed? Right. Right. Which is scary also. It is. What would be you what would you be ashamed of then? Right? Ooh. If you're afraid, so so for me, growing up really blue collar, mm-hmm. anybody that had money was definitely probably a bad person. Mm. They definitely didn't get it by like legitimate means. Mm. And they're definitely not gonna help anybody with all this fame and fortune and whatever they perceive success to be it, they're definitely going to be hoard it and keep it mm. that's the culture i grew up in sure so then why would i ever want to succeed right that's such a shameful thing to 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 be in that place and be that person who's not a nice person so in order to get to that higher level you definitely have done something shady sure <laughs> that's the culture that's blue very blue collar very appalachia so for a long time i think i didn't go towards succeeding, not because I was afraid of the failing, but because, like you said, right. I was afraid of being judged if I did succeed. Sure. Now I've lost all my family who are still very blue collar mm-hmm. and are like, oh, she's all uppity now that she's driving a BMW, you know? Right. So I'm not ever buying a BMW. <laughs> right, right. Not ever. You I'm know, it's in my driveway, yeah. a BMW. Yeah. So, exactly. it, but it took a long time for me to understand that that shame is really an illusion it's yeah. really not accurate right it's really not something that i believe yep um so yeah the getting to that place and yep. figuring out because fear is is real it is but i don't think it's the bottom like anger right. i think is real but i don't think anger is the bottom either right what's under something that? under that yes it's usually pain or sadness yes. or or guilt yes uh some, there's something under it so yes you find out what's under it and you take the root out and you're done. Exactly. Address it. Yeah. At its core. Yeah. But also ask it's, it. I love asking the questions I used to ask when I was kind of living in that fearful, fearful place is just inserting hope in there instead like that. That's a great what visual. What if I succeed? Right. What if I don't write this book? What if I do write this book? Yeah. What if everyone hates this book? What if everyone loves this book? Yeah. What if no one reads it? <laughs> what if everyone, right? Yeah. See how much that, sh- that shifts the narrative? Yes, 100%. So what if we do that with our whole life? Yes. And you should answer those questions. What if nobody reads the book? What if nobody reads the book? Right. Then what? Did do I- you care? Right. How much do you care? Right. Why do you care? Right. What do you do now? Right. So my therapist. But I always I like say, <laughs> find the worst. Yeah. What bothers you the most? Yeah. And answer those questions. Yes. So sometimes you'll find out what bothers you the most doesn't bother you as much as you think it does. Sure. Once you start saying, well, well, then what happens if nobody reads the book? Sure. What Then why are you writing the book? Are you writing the book for millions of people to read it? Are you writing it for your own spiritual journey? Mm-hmm. Are you writing it to help people? Right just helps you clarify. It does. And another thing I realized about fear is when I got diagnosed, there were three things I identified that I was most terrified about. Mm-hmm. One was shaving my head. Mm-hmm. Two was the first chemo session. Three, I forget what third was. See, chemo brain problems. Okay. So uh-huh. there were three. I can only remember two. Um, but I re- maybe, yeah, maybe it was the hysterectomy. But what I noticed was as these things happened, they weren't nearly as scary right. as I thought they were. So with the head shave, I had been growing my hair out for years. So to me, I was like, what's more devastating than all my hair coming off? Yeah. So bless him. My stylist said, come in, I'll shave your head. We'll like make it a party. So my stylist shaved 
John's head and my head. Yeah. In his adorable little salon. He had, I think, Madonna or some very kind of like girl power music on. And I watched him shave John's head and all the hair is falling down. And I was like, gosh, I can't believe I'm next. So I get in the chair and then he brings the clippers up to my head. And I was like, man, of all moments I thought I would never experience, here we are. But the music was awesome. Yeah. And we're all kind of just making light of it. And I watched my hair just flitter to the ground. And I realized... Okay, like, what was I so scared of? Like, okay, yeah, my hair's mm-hmm. falling to the ground, but I'm not dead. Right. I'm here. I mean, and then as more of my scalp emerged, I was like, oh, like, I don't have a lumpy head. All right. <laughs> Thank like, God. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I was actually super <laughs> nervous about that. But like, couldn't you have, like, felt and gone, I, like, no yeah. lumps? Like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> I guess so. But I was terrified of looking like Dan Aykroyd from Coneheads or <laughs> Sloth from the Goonies. Just having this big, like, cone You could head. look like that if you yeah. tried. Well, you never say never. But, you know, that was the fear. Is, oh, God, what if I have these, like, divots in my scalp and I just look like a monster? But then... One big mole. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a big birthmark I never realized was hidden under all my bangs. Like, uh. So, like... You know, uh, my stylist finishes and, and we look in the mirror and I was like, okay, seriously, what was I so afraid of? Right. And I was like, I feel a bit like G.I. Jane-ish right now. Like, I kind of want to like throw on some aviators and like dress in black, look like I'm in the Matrix. And I actually did. I took a, a Instagram photo all dressed in black with aviator shades on with my shaved That's head. Awesome. And I was like, I actually look a little like badass. Like, what was I so <laughs> scared of? And it wasn't that bad. Right. And then I get to the first day of chemo and I, oh my gosh, I it's so embarrassing. I didn't know, you know, I never been through chemo. What are no. you supposed to bring? I basically packed like an overnight bag. I brought like <laughs> socks and water and bananas and cliff bars and an <laughs> iPad and books and like short of packing up my entire apartment. Yeah. yeah. So the nurses are like, you know, chemo is only a few hours, right? And I was like, I know, but it's just like be prepared. <laughs> so they hook you up, you know, you get your medicines, then you get the chemo. And honestly, I remember sitting there being like, this feels like one of those sick days in high school where you're just home on the couch watching TV. Like, right. uneventful. Right. I wasn't in pain. Right. It was just like shockingly uneventful. Right. So as that day is rolling on, I'm like, what was I so scared of again? Right. So I really started to see nothing was as awful as I made it out to be in my head. Right. That I was fearful of. Right. So that kind of also fed into how I view fear now. Nothing was as terrifying right. as I experienced. Like in my head, it was so much scarier than the reality. So that also proves something to me is just really the fear itself is the worst part. Right. Nothing is really as bad as you, you're going to make it out to be in your head. And what did your brain do to get you to that place? So can't your brain do the same in the opposite direction? Yeah, you think yes, so. Yes, it can. Yeah, it yeah. can. Okay, yes, yes. You just have to learn how to do that. Right. Like the fear thing, I think, is a survival piece that's mm. biological, mm-hmm. right? We're mm-hmm. we're supposed to be afraid of things so that we don't get eaten by like a saber-toothed tiger. Exactly. So, but we can, I think if your brain can do that, what do we use, like 10% of our brain or something? Mm-hmm. Surely we can train our brains to do the opposite. Right. I say this to my daughter all the time. I, my oldest daughter the anticipation is so much worse than the event. Always. That you need to learn that about yourself. Yes. If you're a person who gets so worked up over the anticipation of something, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can identify that about yourself, mm-hmm. then you can you can help yourself cope and manage that feeling. Sure. So then you go, oh, I see what's happening. Right. And my anticipation is getting really, really peaked. Mm-hmm. So let me just calm that down and let's just be open 
and move forward. Exactly. And if, but not every, I mean, not everybody's that way, but my oldest daughter is definitely all about the anticipation being sure. far worse than the event. For sure. And yeah. I think that's key is just that awareness. Yes. I think awareness aware. is the first step in a lot of knowing yourself and growing as a person. Yeah. And, and your healthcare. Exactly. Exactly. Awareness is always the first step. So, it is. so tell her. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> that girl. She's, it's good to know about yourself. It is good to know about yourself. I wish, I, I try to do that with my kids is to go, okay, here's how you function. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's wrong, just know that. Right. So that now as you move into adulthood, because they're teenagers, mm-hmm. if you move into adulthood, you can go, oh, wait a minute, this is how I function. So now maybe I can adjust myself here. Exactly. Um, I don't know. Um. So is the second book finished? Not quite, yeah. but it is pretty much all written because what happened, so Diary 1, the, the book that's out now, Dear well, Diary, Does This yeah. Cancer Make My Ass Look Fat? Yes. So book one, I'm calling it. Um, that wraps up in January of 2018. Mm-hmm. And then I was fine for several months. So yeah. I kind of just kept some notes about what was going on in my life, just kind of in a Google Doc. I, I don't know. I'm not sure why. It just kind of felt right. Just, oh, doctor's appointment here, this there, working this job, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Then, spoiler alert, um, my blood work started coming back very fishy mm-hmm. in like mid-summer of 2018. So this is like six months later? Yes, yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. And um, Dr. Handsome, my rock star, Cancer Ninja, Dr. Lee, said, that's eh, probably nothing to worry about, but let's test it in two more weeks. Test in two more weeks. It comes back even fishier. Oh, God. Let's test it again in a few weeks. Came back even worse. Mm. So now it's like, is it time to start panicking yet? Mm-hmm. So he orders a CT scan and he finds something in my liver. Now, obviously, again, just coming off of that trauma, my mind goes to the worst possible place. Sure. And he said it could be scar tissue because that's where your liver is. That's where we scraped some tumors off of your liver last year. Might just be trauma. Right. So now we need to do a PET scan to see if what that what we see is scar tissue or it's cancer. Right. <laughs> Insurance was very much dragging their feet and approving that PET scan. So meanwhile, every day I'm like having meltdowns. Remember when I mentioned maybe um, throwing the TV remote against yeah. the wall? <laughs> was that about the insurance company? <laughs> it's about that time. Right. I don't like to admit my destructive temper here and there, but she sneaks out sometimes. I think you deserve it. Yeah, that mm. was, you know, you know, it's just a remote. But, yeah. you know, I begrudgingly go to Target to replace it five minutes later, saying like, maybe I can find another outlet for my uh, emotions. <laughs> so finally, insurance improves the PET scan like weeks later, and then the PET scan shows ding dong. It's a tumor. Oh my God. It's inside the liver. It's actually a little bit bigger than we realized. And it was that blood work was coming back scarier every couple of weeks. So I think it was kind of quickly growing, basically. Right. right. So then, you know, we schedule a, uh, a procedure, a liver surgery, and I have to go back into chemo. So the whole point of that little tangent was uh, there was a, about a six month break in between when book one ends and I pick up book two. Got it. So book two essentially is written because it's a diary in real time as it was happening. But right. I just need to kind of go back and clean up the conclusion. What did I learn this time around? Right. After going through it, 
the first time. Did I learn anything new this time? Right. Are there lessons that I learned from the first journey that I applied to the second journey? Right. So that's kind of where I am now is really that's interesting. thinking things over and going through cancer bout number two with the lessons of cancer bout number one. Mm-hmm. What does it look like? So yeah, it's, it's, it's mostly written. I have some editing to do and yeah. I want to really put some insights that I feel are important to the end, but it's, it's mostly there basically. Okay. Yeah. I can't wait to read it. Thanks. I Thank enjoyed uh, dear diary. Does this cancer make my ass look fat? I really did. <laughs> I, it, I flew through it. You know, I'm a reader, <laughs> but uh, for people who aren't readers, which I don't, I don't, I don't understand how people aren't readers, mm. but I am married to someone who is not a reader. <laughs> and I have one daughter who is not a reader. Uh, it's an easy read in that it's conversationally written. It's and, and like I said before, the you can read it in small chunks if you choose to. Thank you. you don't have to sit down and read, you know, yeah. a fifty page chapter. You can sit down and read for five minutes mm-hmm. and then pick it back up. So Thank the, you. it's that that part of it is really great. And I think for people going through cancer, or this is what I really think for people who has a friend or a family member or a spouse or child that's Mm. going through cancer to Mm. read it, to get their perspective, because I've never had it. I've delivered two babies. That's the only time I've ever been in the hospital. Knock on wood. I have no health problems, but to not, I want, I would, if, if we had been friends, I would want to understand what you were going through mm. as much as I could so I could anticipate how to help you. Sure. Or when not to help you. Um, you know? Sure. And and I think that's a that's a great point too, is I have gotten some friends back from my hometown that said they bought the book that they themselves had not gone through cancer, but they know someone who had. Right. So they they picked up a copy or they gave it to someone else who you know, it it may possibly help. And truthfully, before this, I had no idea. I I, I didn't have any friends or family right. members with it either. So even I was like, gosh, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to tell you. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I literally no idea what I'm doing. Right. I'm just kind of winging it, winging it, yeah. flying by the seat of my pants, throwing on some weird colors and some weird bras and some weird everything and just kind of grinning and bearing and cracking yeah. some crass jokes and just <laughs> getting through it the only way I know how. Yeah. So, uh, y- yeah, I, I mean, I really had no idea how, t- I didn't know how to handle it. I just handled it as it came. Right? right. So if this can maybe be a guide to anyone either going through it themselves at the beginning of their journey or a friend or a family member of someone who is going through it, Oh my gosh, that would just warm my heart so much and make me feel so amazing because right. I think it it, it, re- it does help to see that perspective. But gosh, yeah, before this, I I had no idea. And, right. you know, bl- bless some of my friends. Part of them were like, yeah, we, we didn't know like what to say. And I was like, don't feel bad. I didn't know what to say. Yeah, I just that that's the way it is, I yeah. think. And, it, you know, it, it is a scary journey and it is a scary disease and I'm I'm so fortunate that um dog's knees sorry <laughs> dog's knees in the background sorry sorry fantastic <laughs> bless you puppy <laughs> sorry no that's adorable <laughs> um not on a podcast and not in the middle of the night it's not touche. adorable <laughs> but yeah she's she's a senior dog Mo- oh. Mona's a senior dog so we have to be a little patient with her of so course. sorry in the middle of what you were saying I'm sorry she's oh no you. not at all not at all the the well, furry friends are also a huge part of healing, our lives, right? So, yeah, and healing too. They're a companion, and they love you. 
They love you if you smell bad. They love you if you smell good. They love you all the time. Speaking of, Cedars has what they call a pooch program. Yeah. During chemo, they would bring dogs into the chemo bay and let you pet dogs. Yeah. I could, I mean, if you ask me what I what I would want, the ultimate thing I would want, you know, other than like chocolate milkshake to not have cancer, dogs, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you, you're hooked up to your IV pump and you're kind of like, okay, I'm here, I'm here. And then you just see this wagging tail around the corner and you're like, <laughs> my day just got a million percent better. <laughs> and that's actually one of the things that I thought about maybe doing down the line because mm-hmm. I do want to give back and get involved mm-hmm. somehow, which still trying to figure what that looks like for the future. But one of the things I kind of had on my radar was, as I said, remember adopting a rescue dog and then signing up to be a dog volunteer because I know how much that brightened my day. Why wouldn't I go do that now yeah, for totally. other people? Yeah. So they had all kinds of dogs. There was one huge dog. I remember that I was just like, don't leave. Can you stay for the next five hours while my infusion finishes up? But obviously Aww, they have to yeah. go see other people. But what an amazing thing to do. Yeah. What's better than a big floofy animal to love and to pet in yeah. a not so fun moment? Yeah. Uh, I wish they could they I wish they could have cats because cats could just sit, sit in your lap and fall asleep. But isn't there some they're they're more germy than dogs or something? Yeah. They're definitely more temperamental and I harder think, to I control. I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> they don't love I think uh walking on the leash and they've got claws and hissing and I, I don't I mean I have no. two cats myself yeah, so no. I'm a huge cat person. I, I would love that. But I think, yeah, therapy dogs are kind of more the norm. Yeah, yeah. But maybe I'll change that. Well, I think you have already done a big service for the cancer community in that writing your book will make people feel not alone. And I think when people feel alone in any kind of ad- adversity, it's very, it makes it more difficult. Mm-hmm. So just sharing your story and giving it to the world has helped the world. Not that you shouldn't do anything else, mm. but I think you should feel, or my opinion, you should feel like you've already given back Thank to you. cancer patients wow. because that it is really, I think so many people feel alone, especially today, mm. more so than in past generations. I think people feel very alone. And to have a book or an audio book that you can listen to or go, okay, she knows exactly what I'm going through is really powerful. Sure. Thank you. For that. That's nice. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah. The, it, it, being alone and having to face this kind of thing is is probably the, the worst feeling. Um, after I got the bomb of the news delivered that morning, before John had gotten to the hospital room, you know, I was alone for a little bit. And I remember just just being baffled. And it, it was so dark. It was just mentally. It was every dark emotion you could possibly imagine. Right. But then once John got there, you know, we we sat together and I was just happy to have him by my side. And then Dr. Lee came in later. And when he said that thing about, you know, I'll hold your hand and we'll get through this together. Mm-hmm. Immediately, just the, the clouds parted because him saying we'll get through this together. And obviously, again, John was by my side the whole time. So we got through it together. But hearing from especially my doctor saying, I'll be by your side for this. I don't think there's like anything else that could have been more of a relief to hear. Right. To know that you're not alone on this journey. People will help you through it. You'll right. get through it. Camaraderie and community, as we talked about, is yeah. just such a important part 
of being able to weather the storm, I think, right. and put on that bravery and courage to just get through your issues, basically. And right. Yeah. Community is everything. And you can apply that advice to divorce, mm-hmm. to death of a loved one, mm-hmm. to uh, pneumonia, to anything, you know, yeah. that's advice for anything is we should rely we should create a community right and rely on it because we are communal creatures yes biologically exactly so, and as social media takes over our community is there but it's like in the ether <laughs> right it is it's, right it's, it's not really there <laughs> i think that yeah as things have become so much more digital thing, things have shifted away from the in-person community, I think a little bit more into the digital community, which has its ups and downs. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, the loneliness factor. And I, I think when you're going through, especially, yeah, like you said, divorce or not just cancer, but anything yeah. sort of significant, uh, the loneliness factor just makes everything worse because mm-hmm. then you're sort of going through in your head, the more time you have to think about things, mm-hmm. the darker things can get, the more overwhelming things can get. And it's hard to stay upbeat and cheery and positive if you're by yourself a lot going through something really big like that it is i would imagine hard to stay positive without some shoring up from other people right exactly exactly let me check my notes and see if there's anything on my notes because they're pretty good um did your taste buds change oh my gosh everything tasted like pennies like no i mean post because i knew oh, oh. in the book you were saying everything oh. tastes like metal yeah and I'm, I'm just eating an ashtray and i was like well <laughs> did they stay that way please Some tell things, me they did not um okay things don't taste like metal anymore for sure good but i will say there <laughs> are certain things i can't eat that i used to like i can't really? look at certain foods the same way like what like ground tur- i used to cook turkey burgers i cannot look at ground turkey anymore even in like at ralph's like if i'm looking at like the even if it's organic and gra- whatever have you, I just, I, there's something about the color of it. Huh. Cause I remember trying it once when I was like kind of sick and I was like, oh my gosh, it's poison. <laughs> and then egg whites too. I totally messed myself. I used to love egg whites. Uh-huh. I can't do egg whites anymore because there was a time also when I wasn't feeling too good. I was like, oh, I need protein. I should be healthy. Blah, blah, blah. So I cook up some egg whites and there was something about them. I think like there, it was either maybe like oil or just like moisture or whatever. But like as I was about to like fork it into my mouth, just like this like puddle of again, yeah, like oil or just something ran down the plate. And I was like, oh, it's wet. Uh, and I could like never eat egg whites again. I uh, still can't. I tried to like a few weeks ago or a month ago and I was like, I'm, I'm done. So there are certain things I just can't look at anymore because of that. Oatmeal cookies too. Like I used to eat funny. like from the nurse's station, which who doesn't love cookies? But yeah, Can't peanut butter crackers and oatmeal cookies. Like for a while, I was like, these are everything. And now I'm like, oh, get it away. No. So, so is there anything you didn't like that you like now? That's a good question. Um, Not that I can think of, to be honest. I don't think so. Um, no, because I pretty much like all most of the things, with the exception of the egg whites and the and the turkey. Just that things I did, have been but, eliminated. Nothing yes. added. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I, well, onions are okay. I'm not super mad at onions. I used to hate onions, but I'm working my way back. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. That was the only other question I didn't already ask her. Address. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if her taste buds just stayed that way. That would be terrible. <laughs> oh, that would be off. Oh gosh. Could if you everything- imagine? Oh gosh. Yeah, I I remember going out one night and I was like, 
oh, the salmon, it very much tastes like loose change tonight. <laughs> My guests were like, well, <laughs> don't know what to tell you then. I don't know what so, to tell you. But thankfully, yeah, <laughs> all systems that. have returned to, to normal for now. Uh, that's so. good. Shoo. Thank goodness. Yeah. I was really worried because, you know, <laughs> that would be bad. It yeah. would be bad, actually. You know, that's what happened to Michael Hutchins, the lead singer of NXS. Do you know that story? I don't think I do. He got in a fight in like Germany. This guy like cold cocked him and mm. he hit his head on a cobblestone street. And when he woke up, he he had no taste buds. Um, so he couldn't taste anything. Oh, gosh. So everything tasted like air. Oh. And it made him massively depressed. How could it not? Because you can't taste strawberries or watermelon or chocolate, chocolate or wine or a woman or anything. Oh my goodness! You know? So he was like massively depressed from his loss of his sense of taste. That's terrible. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. See, well, glad mine taken for back. granted. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Gosh, and these days I try to take nothing for granted. So, I bet. You know, today, actually, later on when I meditate, I'll probably just thank the universe for that because now you, now you really just can't take anything for granted, no. you know? Yeah, so. thank you for my taste buds. Exactly. <laughs> and chocolate and being able to taste chocolate. Yeah. Well, I loved your book. I thought it was great. And I hope uh, there's a link on it to uh, uh, link to your book for Amazon on my website. Oh, thank So anybody you. listening can go to wifeotp.com and just click the link. You can download the book on audiobook. It's on Kindle. Yes. Right? Yeah. And uh, you can just buy the book. Right. Which is, I, I put it on my Kindle. Oh, that awesome. That was a great read. So thank you so much. Highly recommend it. Thank you. Um, good luck with the next one. I can't wait to read it. Oh, gosh. I appreciate that. Yeah, hopefully, um, I'm not really sure about the, the ETA on that. Yeah, but yeah. definitely, hopefully this year, I'm sure there won't be Cancer round three, right? Universe. No, there will no, not. We're done. No, yeah, so you're done. No more. No more. Dear Diary cancer no. books after the after the second one. But, How about uh, Dear Diary? I adopted my first dog. Does it make my ass look fat? <laughs> <laughs> um, I might go home and trademark that title immediately. So thank you for that. But obviously, I'll give you writer's credit on that. I think That's we found good. a winner there. I think we did. Because, you know, why else have a dog if your butt doesn't look smaller? Right? Exactly, yeah. right? At least distract. Exactly. Like a rodeo clown. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at her ass. Don't look, look at her, her ass. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I love it. Well, well thank I'm so you. glad to meet you. Thank you so much. It was a really much. great conversation. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Girl. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>